Are you ready for some more XFL? Welcome back to XFL Extra, the podcast brought to you by XFLboard.com. I'm your host, Mark Nelson, and this is our 15th episode. In this episode, we host Mike Mitchell. Many of you know Mike for his insightful articles about the XFL, as well as being one of the XFLboard.com team reporters for the New York Guardians. Mike joins us today to talk about the Guardians minicamp, player movements, the upcoming rulebook, and the XFL balls. I call this podcast Innovations. It's about a football league that is about to introduce a set of rules that are meant to innovate the game of football. Many aspects of this league are innovative, including the official game balls. We also know there are many more innovations to come. These are exciting times for the XFL. There are 55 days until XFL kickoff. Let's get started. I'd like to welcome Mike Mitchell to the podcast. Many of you know Mike for his insightful articles about the XFL and as one of the XFLboard.com team reporters for the New York Guardians. Welcome, Mike. Thank you very much for having me on. Now, you recently attended the Guardians minicamp. What were your first impressions or what were your impressions of how the team is doing? It was kind of like watching an expansion team practice for the first time. Uh, When you really think about it, the XFL is a first-year league with eight first-year teams. So you kind of get the sense that everyone on the field, between the coaches and players, are all just starting to get to know one another. So there's a feeling-out process between the players and coaches. Um, I I talked to uh, Jamar Summers, cornerback for the Guardians, and the only two players that he had any type of connection with on the roster were two players he played against in college and in the AAF in Mikhail McKay and Demarcus Ayers. So I think it's the early stages of camp. And basically what you're going to see is, you know, it's a team building process right now. And I think one of the benefits the players have is that they have a coaching staff that has a lot of experience in startup leagues and in expansion teams, you know, Kevin Gilbride and running backs coach Gerald Ingram, we're both on the 1995 Jaguars staff, so they have a lot of experience working with a brand new team, and that's very valuable during this process. So the mini camp is really about team building. It's not really about much else, is it? Yeah, I think so. I think that you know they're going through the early installs on offense and defense, and the coaches and the players are 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 working with their players. And even though the front office and the coaching staff has a lot of these players earmarked as players they wanted on the team. They still don't know for sure who who are going to be their best players, who are going to be their most significant contributors of the bunch. So I think now, just now, they're starting to get into seven-on-sevens and one-on-ones. And as they progress further, they'll be moving into training camp and then competing with other teams in the XFL. So it's a process for sure. Um, I, I think I was very impressed with the way the operation was run. And that's kind of like no surprise there because they have – this isn't an amateur coaching staff. This is a coaching staff loaded with uh, coaches that have pro experience. So that's helpful in this transition. Experience of the coaches is actually paying off for the XFL right now. Absolutely. And I think it also helps, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, Matt McGloin. And, you know, not only has he been a great ambassador for the team, but he's also done a great job of commanding the huddle, getting players in the right positions in practice. I mean, he was the first player to get a handle on Kevin Gilbride's playbook. So, they're going through the process where they haven't completed the entire playbook at this point. But Matt's kind of far ahead of the game, so he's been very helpful with his teammates. And 
the, his contributions to the team are already paying off. You know, having a veteran like that with that type of NFL experience is a plus, and it helps with the young players that he's working with. So it's kind of cool to see that he's already being called upon for his leadership and, and, and showing his leadership to the team. Well, no question. And Matt kind of embodies a lot of the players that are on the team, because when you think about it, uh, Matt McGloin was a walk on at Penn State. He, so it's not like he was this top recruit that everybody was clamoring for. And then he ended up being a star at Penn State. And then he was undrafted in the NFL. So and a lot of the players on the Guardians roster had have similar paths where they were walk ons, where they were undrafted where they were kind of like they were not the most sought-after players. And McGloin has respect in the Guardians locker room because he didn't take the easy path and he became a success. So um, it's been invaluable to have him as a teammate for the other players. Which positional battles are you watching? Well, there's so many to look at right now, but it's so early in the process. Obviously, it goes without saying that, you know, it appears that Matt McGloin is going to be the opening day starter at quarterback. So I don't think there's much of a competition there, but I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Marquise Williams. He was very impressive uh, during Guardians practice. And I think his talents could be served in the offense in, in certain specific packages used in the red zone and in short yardage, maybe with the league's rules, with the conversions. He could be a part of that as well. So I, he's got a lot of arm talent and mobility. I wouldn't be surprised if he makes his way onto the field in some form or fashion, similar to the way he was used with San Antonio and the Alliance. Uh, as far as other positions go, the deepest position on the Guardians is the wide receiver position. Um, they're loaded at that position. That might be the deepest in the XFL. They have Mikel McKay, D'Angelo Yancey, and Tanner uh, Gentry to go along with Demarcus Ayers and Damon Sheehy. So it's a talented group, and it really showed uh, during Guardians minicamp, even in these early stages. So some of the battles are starting to come come to light, but it's still too early in the process to declare any winners. Yeah, no question about that. And I think a big thing is like, you know, draft status is not really going to determine anything in the XFL. You know, they're, they're outside of maybe the assigned quarterbacks. And even then there's competition for those spots. Um, a lot of these positions and spots and uh, uh, positions on the depth chart are up for grabs. So I think it's going to come down to performance. And so no one's locked in at any point. So the Guardians may not know at this point who their starting five offensive linemen are going to be because that's still yet to be determined. So things will only start to get really interesting when the Guardians go to Houston for the uh, training camp in January. And I think this mini camp is very important because this is a bridge to the full on let's go training camp, because if they didn't have this bridge, they wouldn't. This is the acclimation process for the entire team. So. It's kind of similar in the pros um, like OTAs. So basically, this is needed to get to the next step. So it's very important that Oliver Luck and the league set this up for all eight teams. I think by the time they get out of minicamp, they'll be ready for training camp. They needed this minicamp to get to that point. It's interesting to hear how, how the XFL has done this and they've they've decided to have these two camps. And it's probably turned out to be far superior to what occurred before the original XFL started. Yeah, no question about it. You know, with the original XFL, players were rushed in and they didn't have a lot of time to even gel, get to know one another. And, you know, even the way the Guardians are going to be situated during the regular season is set up for them to bond because they're all going to be housed in the same Sheridan Hotel, which is right near their practice facilities. So and they're renting out an entire room in the Sheridan Hotel on the 11th floor for team offices, film rooms, et cetera, et cetera. So. 
that in and of itself is going to bond the team together. And that's the most important thing with uh, pro football is the players from all backgrounds uniting together and working together as one. And I think it's set up that way for New York uh, for them to have success. Yeah, it sounds like they're going to have a good opportunity for team building throughout the season and keeping people together. We understand there has been a few players moving out of rosters, and, and of course the rosters are, are fluid, and, and some players have been moving into rosters, including some players that were not involved in the official XFL drafts. Uh, should we expect this to be a common thing now? There has been some housekeeping done on XFL rosters, and I would expect it to be a common thing, especially even during training camp. I think you know some of the uh, things you're mentioning there, some teams had openings on their rosters, uh, and they were allowed to pick up players to replace players that they lost. Some of those players signed on to NFL teams. Some of those players decided not to show up. And some of the players failed their physicals, like um, Alabama's Cyrus Quanjo with the New York Guardians. So, uh, you know, we saw signings like the Battlehawks signing uh, Taylor Russolino, a kicker, the Dragons signing Eric Powell, Vad Lee signed with the Defenders. So there were several signings like that under the radar, and they're basically the XFL um, didn't publicize it, but there were moves and transactions that were made so these teams can be stocked up at 70 for minicamp. The St. Louis Battlehawks right now have 70 players on their roster, and that's not counting the 14 players that are on their exempt list. So then those are players that either didn't show up or signed with the NFL. So um, it's kind of an interesting setup and structure. Unfortunately, with football, you're going to have injuries as well. So there may come a point during training camp or even the end of minicamp where certain players get injured and XFL teams, what they do basically is the league has thousands of players in their database. So they go from that pool and obviously you have to contact the players and, and the agents and have to get in touch. And then they have to set up arrangements for the player to come in take a physical sign a contract and all that. And I think that's what's happened with um, that small handful of players that you saw that were just showed up in the XFL without a lot of fanfare. I'm wondering why anyone anyone is surprised by this, because um, in any football league, teams do bring players into their rosters all through the season when there's no draft, of course. So so we've gone beyond the draft process now, and we're just gone into business of football now, is, is what I'm seeing. Right. And, you know, uh, with a lot of sports leagues, we're used to uh, wide open transparency. You just go to a league website and you click on transactions and you see what players have been put on IR, practice squad, signed, et cetera, et cetera. And the XFL is so new to the game right now and that there's so many moving parts that, you know, these signings or uh, pickups through their player database, they weren't publicized out there. And I, I don't think as a first year league, people should be too surprised by that. Um and I think the, the, the teams make requests and they have those positions that need to be filled. So the league accommodates them in that way. It's not, it's not a uh, typical draft process, although we are headed towards a supplemental draft before training camp. The rumored date for the next supplemental draft will be on January 2nd. And that's going to be an interesting period there to see what players that are currently on NFL practice squads end up in the XFL and what other players potentially sign on, uh, what other players eventually that were signed return to the XFL um, that are on current exempt list. So it's going to be a fascinating period, that period right before training camp starts to see what kind of roster turnover there is, even if it's minimal. 
I think if you're the type of person or type of fan that likes to follow player rosters and player movements, your head's no, going to spin in, uh, during the first week of January is what you're it's saying. Fu- it's fun. You know, the unfortunate part is the injury side of things. You know, you, yeah. you hate to see that part of it happen because that usually determines what teams have to do. And the league hasn't been completely upfront about what kind of waiver system they're going to set up and all that. So they're still in the infancy stages on kind of like organizing that completely. But, um, yeah, it's anytime you're a football fan, it's the biggest thing you pay attention to is injury reports and transaction, who comes off the practice squad, who comes on it. So that's part of the, uh, the lore and what we, what we do as fans to follow the league is to watch those transactions, how they transpire. So you never know who could join the XFL between now and kickoff. Well, that makes for exciting times, doesn't it? It does. You know, we, we could get a few surprises. I mean, Quentin Patton, who's a good NFL receiver, ended up on the St. Louis Battlehawks roster. That's another team that has a very solid wide receiver group. So with Terrence Williams and, and others. And um, they needed that player because DeMornay uh, personnel re-signed with the Oakland Raiders. So there might be some surprises, some quality veterans that either weren't available to be a part of the draft or that are still in the pool that we're unaware of. So that could be exciting to find a few uh, hidden gems that join the league late in the process. Yeah, we'll be looking for that. Now, there's been there was some griping this week about some quarterbacks that the NFL wanted, but the XFL blocked them from signing. Right. Uh, no question about that. I mean, there are a lot of fans out there that are confused by the XFL setup. Um, a lot of people out there believe that the XFL should be a league that just helps out the NFL or that becomes a developmental league that allows players to jump. And that that's the whole point of the XFL's existence is to just be a, a doorway to the NFL. So I think some people out there are kind of misinformed on how the, the whole process is going to work. These players chose, these players who signed the contracts, chose the XFL full well knowing they wouldn't be able to leave for the NFL. So guys like Josh Johnson, Cardell Jones, Landry Jones, and others, they picked the XFL. Their agents were fully aware of what was in their contracts. And like in Cardell Jones' case, he turned down opportunities with NFL practice squads because he wanted to be a starter with D.C. So, um, And I, I can't say I blame him on that because NFL practice squad, if you're on there for the entire season, you make 125 k If you're with the XFL for the entire season, you have potential to make half a million dollars. Plus, Cardell can do something that he hasn't done in the NFL, and that's start. So I, I can see why these why some people out there would be like, oh, why are they not allowing these players into the NFL? But what they're forgetting is these players chose to sign these contracts full well knowing that they were making this choice for the betterment of their career rather than being a fringe player who may not be uh, in the long term plans for an NFL team. You know, that's exactly why I love to see Cardell Jones just light up the field this coming season. Yeah, he's in a posi- he's in a position to succeed as well. I think they have good talent around him. He's got a very good coaching staff, and and his goal, as he said in interviews, you know, he turned down the Cowboys and other teams to be on their practice squad. His goal is to get back in the NFL. But what's as the a, best way for him? As a starter. Yeah, he as a starter. A that's starter. the big key. That's the big key right there. Right. What's the best way for him to do it? He's not going to get any playing time. Another thing people kind of uh, discard or don't do not pay attention to is this simple fact that these players that sign futures contracts with NFL teams at the end of the season, they do not get paid until March. Yeah, it's nice to be on an NFL roster. It looks good on the resume. But by the time March comes, 
NFL teams start to sign free agents. They start to draft players. So you're on very, very, very shaky ground to even get to training camp. And all while this is going on, the XFL is actually playing games. So while you could have been playing and getting reps and becoming a better football player and getting an opportunity to show how good you are, instead, you're just a name on a roster that's going to be released anyway and not get paid during the process. So I think the choice is obvious for players like Cardell Jones or even Josh Johnson. There's a veteran quarterback that was probably going to be in an emergency situation, pick up two or three NFL game checks, and they'd be done with him. There was going to be no long-term commitment from Detroit. But with L.A., Josh Johnson could go play in his hometown, have an opportunity to start, and actually be named a starter on day one and be a starter for the entire season rather than just be basically a rented quarterback that's who comes in, plays a week or two, and then is discarded. Now, a few days ago, Oliver Luck was quoted in an article to say a few, a few things. But one of the things he said is he thought the guys that they have on their teams – are the best 560 that aren't playing in the National Football League. Hey, yeah, that was a very strong statement by Oliver. You expect him to say something like that because he's not going to say, you know, this is the best we could get versus we've got the best of what's left. But I feel that there's some truth in what he's saying in that the XFL teams made these decisions. These were the players that they felt were the best. I found it fascinating in that particular article that Oliver Luck, was asked about Johnny Manziel and Trent Richardson, and Luck dismissed those two based on football reasons. Um, basically, basically talking about how Trent Richardson was not the type of player he was in the past when he came out of Alabama, and talking about how Johnny Manziel has not been a good quarterback since he turned pro. So I think the, Oliver Luck truly feels that his league picked the absolute best players they could, and they're not done with that process. Now, there are some players you can argue that would make the league better. There are probably some veteran players that turn down the XFL because they don't know they don't know about the uncertainty of the league and they they don't have a lot of trust and faith in the concept. So I'm sure there's some players out there that would dispute these are really the best uh, 560 players. But uh, in the long run, at the end of the day, I think Oliver has to say that and he has to feel confident and have faith that the XFL teams have picked the best possible players they can. Yeah, I agree. Now, Oliver Luck, he has the ability to say what's what needs to be said at all times, it seems. Now, I, I have a question for you. How much does the XFL or how much does McMahon like his decision of hiring Oliver Luck as commissioner right now? He's got to be ecstatic about it. I mean, one of the things that came out about a year ago was that the Alliance tried to hire Oliver Luck to head their league. And Oliver mentioned that in an interview with Pro Football Talk and Mike Florio that he didn't like the AF structure, and so that's why he passed on them. He ended up obviously choosing the XFL. I think Vince McMahon has got to be extremely pleased with his hire. Uh, it's That was a home run hire. I mean, uh, Oliver Luck is a rock star. He's a well-respected football man. He's got so much experience on administrative level, and, and he's exactly the type of guy you want to run a startup league. Why? Because he ran one in NFL Europe for 10 years. So... I think there's no question that the hire of Oliver Luck really set the course for the XFL. And when you hear the networks talk about the league or why they have faith and confidence in it, the first, you know, they bring up Vince McMahon, sure. But the person they bring up the most is Oliver Luck as far as why they have faith in the concept working. And I can't say that I blame them up until this point. 
Yeah, it's cool to see how Oliver Luck is the face of the XFL and, and not Vince McMahon. Right. And I mean, we'll see Vince at some point, hopefully uh, before opening day, uh, screaming uh, out of the top of his lungs. This is the XFL. Yeah. But um, but yeah, Oliver is the face of the league. He's a point man, the decision maker. Um, he's the guy that's been uh, selling the league to everyone that he can. And I think his optimism is uh, genuine. I don't get the sense from him that he's trying to sell you something. I think he truly believes in this concept, and I think that comes from his experience with NFL Europe, to be honest with you. I think he knows the quality, the type of quality players that are out there and how much the football landscape has evolved over the last 20 years, how much better college football players are, how much better pro football players are. So um, he believes in the concept fully, and I think he's done a great job of selling it, and there's no question he's the face of the league. Yeah, he's good for the league. He's good for the players. The players like him. He's good for the fans. The fans like him. And you said it was a home run when he was hired. Well, as far as I'm concerned, he's still rounding the bases. On yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it for sure, because we're still in the early stages of everything. So the uh, league hasn't scored completely. But yeah, but yeah, he's I agree with you. I agree with your uh, your uh, words there. That's a good choice of words there that he's still rounding the bases for sure. We're actually getting very close to kickoff now with the XFL. And. A few months ago, we were wondering about some of these things. Well, how's, when's this going to happen? When's that going to happen? But now a lot of this stuff has happened, and really there's not much more left to happen. And right. so, and so the, if anyone was wondering whether the XFL was going to make it to kickoff, well, they kind of don't have to wonder anymore because it's actually it looks like it's going to happen, and it's going to happen in a way that everyone's going to be happy with. Oh, no question about it. You know, it's um... – I, I think anytime you follow these types of leagues, you wait for the shooter, other shooter to drop. You wait for something wrong to happen. It's happened. I've followed secondary pro football leagues my entire life. And there have been so many leagues that right before they're about to launch, slip up or something happens financially or something along the way hits a snag and they're unable to launch. You see so many of these leagues that have been put off for a year, two years before they even attempt to take the field. And sometimes they never do. So I think we've reached the point now where you can kind of like safely say uh, the XFL is going to take the field in February. That's for sure. Yeah. Now that you mention it, even with the AAF, after the AAF uh, folded, we've, we discovered that there was a lot of uh, uncertainty, even when they were getting ready to start their season with funding, wasn't there? Yeah. And then, you know, they didn't want that to be public. And unfortunately, some people made it public how they were having financial issues already out the gate. Um, they still owe money from last year's training camp and all that. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes and, um, it just wasn't set up soundly from a business structure. They were over budget too quickly, too soon. The people that invested money in it saw that it was a failed operation and bailed quickly. I think people underestimate how expensive it is to, uh, run a pro football league, how, how you have to pay tens upon tens of millions of dollars just on insurance premiums alone. That's before you pay players, coaches, staff members, pay the leases and rent on the venues, pay for travel and lodging and everything else, technology, and every other cost you can think of. And so that's what happens with a lot of these leagues is um, they put too much money in, they don't have any profits coming in, and they underestimate uh, how much they're going to need to spend just to be able to function. So 
uh, unfortunately with the alliance, that's what happened there. And they rushed into everything there. They didn't have the structure. The house was built poorly. It collapsed quickly. And we have no sense that that will occur with the XFL. Yeah, we don't know for sure, like how successful it's going to be. We we don't know. We know that it's a startup. It's a first year league. So it's going to have its hiccups. There'll be weeks where the ratings aren't that great, where the ratings are up and down. There'll be that March period or March madness. There'll be weeks where the attendance isn't great in some venues and better in others. So, but we don't get that sense that this league is just going to close up shop in one week and the checks are going to bounce. I mean, even in the original XFL, when that league finished its first season, uh, Vince McMahon paid off all the players and coaches and staff members months after the league already folded. Uh, so uh, he doesn't have a history. There's a lot you can say about him as an owner, and people have a lot of strong opinions against him. But uh, he's never had an issue with his checks bouncing nor honoring his financial commitments. Yeah, so the bills will be paid. A few days ago, you tweeted on uh, you tweeted out that the XFL rules would be released next week. And, of course, right. you got a lot of responses to that tweet. What can we expect next week? Uh, the first thing is a lot of spirited debate. I think um, anytime you attempt to reimagine something, there will be some resistance, skepticism, and ridicule. Um, as far as the rules themselves, for those of us who have been following the league closely from day one, we kind of have a general idea what the league has been testing for over a year now. It's simply a matter of seeing what the finished details are. You know, the key areas of focus for the XFL have been the speed of the game, officiating, player safety, and then eliminating meaningless and increasing meaningful plays. Uh, the, with that being said, there might be a couple of surprise rules or innovations that we haven't heard about up until now. Um, you know, one of the last series of re- research and development for the XFL was their game testing that saw their games average two hours and 40 minutes each with time breaks. And the games averaged 169 plays per game. That's a offensive place for scrimmage from both sides. So there they had a goal in mind when they did, started this research and development and they built upon it for over a year to try to reach the point where they were comfortable uh, instituting these rules for the league. So it's I, I think we're going to get a lot of, um, like I mentioned, spirited debate amongst football fans and XFL followers of whether or not these rules are the right ones that they've chosen. But I think there's no doubt that they've worked extremely hard to reach this point. This isn't some haphazard deal where they're just throwing out some ideas and seeing what sticks on the wall. This is stuff they've tested over and over and over and over again to make sure that it, these are the right rules for the league. Whether or not everybody likes them or not, that's, you know, that's up for debate. Anytime you introduce new concepts, there's going to be a blowback against them. So especially when it's something as traditional as uh, pro football. So I think until we see them on the field, we won't know for sure uh, whether these uh, concepts and innovations were the right choices or not. But they've obviously, as a league, seen these in play, and they're moving forward with what they have. So they've tested these rules, as you pointed out, uh, with the Spring League and with some colleges. Right. They've been talking about a set of rules that were they were thinking of, but do we know which ones they're actually going to go with and which ones have been put aside? Yeah, that's a good question. This is probably going to be a really long answer because there's so much to unpack. Let's start with the rules that I feel did not make it to the finish line. Uh, the one-yard neutral zone rule at the line of scrimmage, that was tested, and the league felt that it made short yardage uh, situations too easy to convert. The other rule that I think they tested for a long time and then scrapped was the no three-point stance for offensive linemen. That was a rule that they worked on. A couple of these... Um, 
different rules that were scrapped were inspired by the CFL, where in the CFL they'll have a, a distance between the offensive line and defensive line. And the general idea behind this was safety-driven to avoid the head-on collisions that happen between offensive and defensive linemen. But I think when the XFL went through the testing and he saw how easy it was for offenses to get uh, and convert short yardage plays, they decided to scrap it altogether. Um, there's back in May, there were rumblings that the running clock that the XFL has tested uh, wasn't feasible or didn't work as the league would have liked. I don't know if they're staying with that. That was one of the things that was talked about early on in the process about them trying to implement a running clock. So we'll see. As far as the rules that made it, the safest bet is the 25-second play clock. Um, that's made it to the finish line. There was actually a time when the league was testing a 30-second play clock. In relation to the play clock itself, I also think that they're, the league is moving forward with their designated ball spotter, which basically one official whose sole job will be to spot the football immediately after a play ends. So everything about the league is the speed of the game. So they're definitely implementing that. Um, we're going to see a sky, jo- a sky judge in the XFL. That's basically a lead official in the booth that will buzz into the head official on the field and have the authority to correct a missed call. This official, though, is going to have access to all angles, but he's only going to have 25 seconds to correct the call. So even the officiating, officiating part of the XFL is going to be sped up. To, so how efficient that system will be, that remains to be seen. But that's what I think we're definitely going to see. The kickoff and punt returns are going to be highly featured in the XFL. On punts, there's going to be no fair catches. And there's going to be another CFL-inspired rule in the halo rule that allows returners space to catch the ball and head up field. That's also safety-driven. The kickoff is going to be very interesting because basically what the XFL has done is they want to come up with a kickoff that ensures returns while also being safe. So the, the way it's set up is the kicker is going to kick from his own 25-yard line, but his coverage units are going to be down, further down the field. Now, what's going to happen is the coverage units are only going to be five yards apart from one another, and they cannot move until the returner catches the ball. So that's going to be jarring for some people to see. Um, but it's not, the mo- it's not the most perfect marriage. It's kind of an arranged marriage. The XFL is trying to figure out how can we make this play safe but still keep it in football. So uh, they've tested that one a lot. Over the course with junior colleges, as you mentioned, the spring league, your call football, spring league on several occasions. So um, so that's kind of the story there. There's also supposed to be a 35 yard uh, touchback for both punts and kicks, uh, which that seems to be all systems go as well. The early talk was there will be an onside kick, but some of the league's other rules may affect its usefulness. Like, for example, the 35 yard touchback on punts may lead to more teams going for it on fourth down when their offense gets into opponent's territory. So chances are we will rarely ever see the 35-yard touchback on punts because teams will opt to go for it more once they cross midfield. The tiered extra points after touchdowns, that's going to happen. There's no question about it. That's one point from the two-yard line, two points from the five-yard line, and three points from the 10-yard line. There was a time where the three-point conversions were initially tested from the 15-yard line, but this is where the XFL's coaches came into play they actually changed that rule during the course of the research and development and, t- and game testing, and they asked for it to be moved to the 10-yard line. The reason the coaches in the XFL felt that way after seeing the test play out with players, they felt that defenses had too much of an advantage and would play a uh, picket fence-style defense right on the goal line to prevent scores. So 
Um, there's so, there's so much to unpack really when it comes to these rules. You know, off the top of my head, you know, the double forward pass is also something that's gonna is gonna be a go when we when these rules are released next week. This was technically that double forward pass was technically the first uh, XFL touchdown ever when it was tested with the junior colleges in Mississippi. And it was also intercepted for a touchdown uh, in the spring league. So uh, that's going to be an interesting layer of strategy. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to react um, negatively to that one because they don't, they're not, they're unfamiliar with what the rule is. So uh, I think for safety and time reasons, the league and the networks don't want to play a fifth quarter. So, I think the overtime is here to stay. That's also going to be something that's going to be very polarizing. Um, We're going to see how they play that out, like what form, what format, how they score it, with basically both teams having five tries inside the five-yard line to score. Um, So we don't know all the finer details of some of these rules, but that's kind of where we stand. I don't know if I missed something there, Mark. No, I think you got it all. I've got a checklist here, and you hit every point that I was looking for. There is one uh, thing, you know, where the league lands on um, inbounds on their catch rules should be interesting, particularly because it appears the XFL is leaning towards instituting the one foot inbounds rule, similar to college football. So, uh, a, uh, you know, how if they simplify the catch rules, that'll help the officiating. So a lot of this stuff is about the speed of the game, about officiating, about safety. And uh, we're going to we're going to find out in a week. Uh, where the the finer details is the most important thing because you'll hear a concept and not quite understand it. But then when you listen to the finer details and points there and why they chose these rules, then you'll have a better understanding. Like, it'll make more sense. I think one point you made is that some fans are going to – they're not going to like these changes and they'll have to get used to them. But I think the XFL expects that type of reaction from from football fans that they don't like change that much. But the one rule that I really like is the uh, – the overtime rule because of the shootout format. I think that's a great format, and I know how they do it in the CFL. Uh, they have a similar uh, format where each team gets a chance on offense, but the idea that you get five shots uh, at the end zone and the other team gets five shots at the end zone, I think that's great. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's a lot like the kickoff where it's like kind of a compromise. It's like how do we end, how do we not play a fifth quarter? Yeah, And there are medical professionals will tell you that playing in fifth quarter is not good for the safety of pro football players. And then at the same point, the XFL and their networks, Disney and Fox, are trying to figure out, okay, how do we resolve this tie quickly? Now, how do we do it in a fun and exciting fashion? So they've set up what is essentially basically they're giving both offenses and defenses a chance to determine the outcome of the game. And they're setting it up so like if Team Mark Nelson was playing Team Mike Mitchell – even though we both have five tries, it could be over in three. What I mean by that is if you go first and you score, and then I don't score, you go second and you score, and then I don't score. The third time you score, if I don't score on my third try, it's over. Because of the simple fact that you've scored in your first three tries, I failed in my first three, now I can't match you because I can only get two out of my yeah. remaining five. So the overtime five tries could be over in three. Now, how they format this is where I talk about the finer details. That's my presumption on how the rules would be set up because it only makes sense from a mathematical standpoint that if you get your first three tries and I do not, it's over because I can't match your three. So how they do that, how they score this, who goes first, who goes last, how they format that, what happens if you and I both score five out of five? So do we keep going? So there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of that we don't we're unsure of but i agree with you i think it is an exciting format i think it's the only way to handle it if you're not going to play fifth quarter and if you're looking for a way to have both offenses have an opportunity to and defenses to factor in the outcome of the game to break a tie so in the perfect world you'd probably play a fifth quarter and let both teams have the ball on offense but that's not what the XFL Northern Networks are going for. They're not looking for four-hour games. Yeah, I agree. I like the idea of the quick and uh, exciting uh, overtime. Now, I was watching Saturday Night Live last Saturday, <laughs> and there was a – not on the show, but but on online, someone referred to the fact that the last time Jennifer Lopez was on Saturday Night Live was <laughs> when the XFL went into overtime and, and the show was delayed. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. That's right. Ironically, that ties into XFL overtime, too, because, you know, no matter whether you like the concept or not, and that's the, the XFL's uh, new overtime, that very night where Jennifer Lopez was the host and Saturday Night Live got delayed, that very night the game went over four hours Yeah. and was probably the most exciting XFL game Yeah, it was great. Uh, of their entire run between the Extreme and the Enforcers with Tommy Maddox leading the charge there and winning the game late. But that can, that's kind of ironic that it just works out that way, that uh, uh, J-Lo, for lack of a better term, she was hosting SNL again. And, um, and I, I think that, um, I, I think that uh, part of the reason why we're seeing this quick resolution to the XFLs over time is so that it doesn't bleed into other network programming. So exactly. Because, yeah. because they want to – the XFL has a time frame there. They have games scheduled at 2 p.m. and 5 p.m. So – they want the 2 p.m. game to be over before the second game begins. They also don't want to interfere with any of ABC's other broadcast partners, other entities that are supposed to start at 5 p.m., 6 p.m., etc. So, or in the case of starting at 5, 8 p.m. So, the, yeah, I thought it was interesting too that SNL took a crack at the XFL. I think I think any mention is good. Um, yeah. So, so it creates product awareness and all that and. I know some people, conspiracy theorists out there, think maybe Lorne Michaels had it in for the XFL and wanted to take a dig at them. But um, but that's neither here nor there. I thought it was great the way the XFL handled it on social media. They didn't take offense to it. They played it in a classy fashion. Uh, so you know, so and they yeah. even tried to befriend Saturday Night Live by sending them jerseys. So I thought the XFL handled that real well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed that that throwback though. That was really cool. And you know, the, this this reminds me of the fact that when we watch the first XFL games in February, we should look at our clocks because we're liable to find out that these XFL games are shorter than the average NFL game, won't we? Oh, absolutely. You know, and 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 they've tested it. You know, that's the thing. They tested all these so that's why some things may be scrapped or modified. And they've tested that so these games do end within their three-hour frame. You know, they, the last run of uh, research and testing uh, had XFL games at two hours and 40 minutes. And what they did during the test is they did time breaks. So they acted as if they did have commercial breaks and all that just to make sure it fit under a three-hour window. It's going to be interesting, though. They might be up against it in a couple of weeks. So, But, you know, where, where they get very close to that time frame. But, but uh, I think that's their goal. And they've, you know... They've instituted some rules there that will speed the game along. We'll see what sticks and what doesn't. But, yeah, I think we can expect the the overtime to be resolved quickly if it comes to that. And it's such a rare thing that happens in, in football leagues anyway 
is overtime. The Alliance of American Football, they, you know, they didn't play a full season, but they played 32 games and they ended up having only one overtime game. The original XFL played 43 games and they ended up having only one overtime game. So their entire existence there. So how often we see it? Who knows? We may go an entire season and never see the concept come into play. Hopefully that's not the case. We'd love to see it happen uh, just for curiosity's sake, for sure. So uh, I think it's uh, fascinating the way the, the XFL is structuring their games and how they're going to structure their rules to fit within that window. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how the how that how that plays out with the with the times of the games. Now you've uh, had a chance to get your mitts on an XFL ball, like you've been lucky enough. You've got a ball. Give us a quick review. What do you think of that ball? Ah, it's tremendous. I love it. It's uh, it not only looks cool. But it's so functional. It has such a great grip to it. You can tell the time and effort that was put into this design. I think I'm not surprised that one of the lead executives that was responsible for designing and testing the football is Sam Schwartzstein. For those who don't know, he's the director of football operations for the XFL. He's also a former All-American center for Stanford. And if there's one position that handles the football on every snap, it's the center position. So it kind of made sense for Schwartzstein to, like, lead that department along with team issue and everyone else. So uh, the football is cool looking and, uh, and it's very functional. And I think it was designed specific. What I like about it most, it's designed specifically for player performance. And um, whereas I love the original XFL football, but that was more about style than substance. And uh, as people know, who followed the original league, um, those balls are slippery. They had to sand them down. They had to put them in the shower. They had to do all kinds of tricks to the ball to get it to function properly. It looked great, but didn't operate great. This football is going to be, the players are raving about it. I was talking to players at camp. They love it. Receivers love it. They can pinpoint the ball in air, in midair. The quarterbacks, they love throwing the football. They have a good grip on it. So I think they, you know, the design behind the football was based completely on player performance and it shows. And Anyone who gets a chance to get a hand, get their hands on an XFL football, they'll know what I'm talking about when they deal with it, handle it, play with it, all that good stuff. And from a marketing standpoint, very smart to make uh, eight separate balls that are all team specific. Um, that's another. That's brilliant from uh, uh, the marketing standpoint of the league to to market the balls that way. So that was a good job by them. Yeah, of course, collect them all, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's hard. It's I'm, I'm almost tempted to do. I have a Guardians football, but I'm almost yeah. tempted. I'm almost tempted to start collecting. You know, so because uh, some of those other balls look really cool, and so. But I, I think that's cool. Like for the fans to actually have your own team's football, and I think for the teams themselves to actually have their own football when they're on offense. It's also kind of fun when a defensive team takes the ball away. So um, <laughs> I'm sure yeah. there'll be some. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be some interesting antics on the field when you intercept the guardians pass and then uh, return it back for a touchdown. So, um, so we'll see, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I think that's just brilliant marketing. The league is very smart uh, and, and they're doing very well. Actually, now that I bring that up, they're doing very well, uh, uniform sales and, and merchandise sales. And so that's very helpful for the long-term success of the league that they're doing so well selling merchandise already. Uh, now with this ball, do you think that this ball is an innovation? It is. It is just based on based. Now, the, the football itself is the same exact dimensions as an NFL football, the same weight, same size. But I think what makes it a little bit different is the uh, technology involved in the leather that they used on the football. 
just the pebble grain that they have here makes it easier to handle, hold, run with, catch, all that stuff. And then those pinpoints on, on the ball, or X tips, however you want to label them, they're really helpful for tracking the ball in midair. So, um, yeah, you know, I think I think it has all the checkpoints that you'd want if you're starting a pro football league. You know, we, we were always told that the XFL was going to innovate football, and, and we were expecting that. And I believe that this ball is one of the first innovations that we've seen that we can put a pin on and say, yes, that was an innovation. Yeah, and it kind of like – I know it's just football. I get that part of it. But it kind of like symbolizes what the league's been about up until this point. It shows how much time and effort has been put into every little aspect of the league. I mean, um, and yeah, unfortunately, with the original XFL, they didn't have that. It was kind of, it was a facade in many ways. It was, you know, there was a lot of cool aspects about it. But once you peeled off the layers, you saw that there was, you know, there was nothing there. It was more style than substance. It just, and you can just tell from just the effort and the time the invested in getting players to uh, pick the football that they want to play with every week. Uh, the football's kind of embodies the league at the moment. We'll see. We'll see how they go, how they operate with the rest of the organization. But thus far, I'm impressed. Well, there's some exciting things to look for in the future. Uh, I'd like to thank you, Mike, for coming out today. We always enjoy having you because your football uh, acumen is is one of the best. Thanks. It's great to hear. Thanks again to our guest, Mike Mitchell. I would like to point out that you can follow Mike on Twitter at MMXFLWriter. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. You are welcome to come back next Sunday, where we will have more guests and more XFL. Until next time, this was your host, Mark Nelson, and I hope you enjoyed XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast. Mm-hmm.